Hey everybody, it is episode 38 of the Running Rogue podcast. I'm here in Austin, Texas with Steve, as always. Hey Steve. Hello world. We've got a couple of guests today that we're super excited to have on. They're actually podcast listeners and they had the request of coming on and giving us a quiz to dig into some of the topics that we've covered on this show and drill into areas that they want to drill into. So they've come up with 11 questions that they're going to be asking us over the course of this episode and we're super excited to have them i'm going to introduce them in turn we've got jean rigotti here she is a member of actually my group the morning show here at rogue and has trained with me for a long time welcome jean how are you hi i'm good hi everyone quick intro on how you found rogue and what got you to this point here a guest on our podcast um, well, I started running about 17 years ago, um, mostly just to exercise my dog, but eventually started or got the idea to train for a marathon. Somebody asked me, let's train for a marathon. And I joined Runtex. Um, and that's where I met Ardith, the other guest on the show today. And, um, we had a great time, met a lot of friends. I ran the Austin marathon in 2004 um qualified for Boston kind of at surprise and did Boston in 2005 then you know s- stopped running for a few years <laughs> went back enough. to yeah went back to running with my dog and having fun but eventually Ardith talked me into doing another marathon in 2008 um trained with a couple different groups since then consistently and joined Rogue in 2015 to do the New York City Marathon. And I joined Chris's group at the beginning of 2016. Wow. So we've been together for a year and a half. Year and a half. So much to do we have. Okay. <laughs> so welcome, Jean. Good to have you. We also have, as she mentioned, her friend Ardith on the show, who now lives in San Antonio, so is not training with us actively now, but has been a podcast listener and trained with us back in the early 2000s quick intro artist. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Steve. Jean, good to see you. Uh, I started, I think, really found Rogue when it was Runtex back in 2003 to train for a first marathon, got injured, so ultimately did Minneapolis in 2005 and qualified for Boston, ran that 2006, and um, have continued to do multi-sport or run um, with Rogue and a few other groups in Austin until I moved to San Antonio about six years ago. And um, Gene sent me your podcast on Boston and uh, turned it on, and I've been hooked ever since. We love it. Well, thanks for listening, and thanks for being here. We're excited to be on the hot seat this time. So It'll be the second th- time we've been on the hot seat. <laughs> right. <laughs> second time this week. So the tables will be turned. Before we dive into the questions, and as I mentioned, Ardith and Gene have come up with 11 questions that they've got for us. We're hoping to get to all of them. We may not, but... But I may be referring them from time to time by numbers. Those reference numbers are for our purposes, so don't worry about them as a listener on this episode. But before we get into that, I wanted to talk about our intros as a way of introing the show. When Steve and I first started this podcast, we did it partially because we want people to be fans of the sport because we're fans of the sport. So we started those intros almost apologetically talking about current events and track and field thinking that people would be annoyed and might just fast forward to the meat of either the interview or the topic we were covering. What we found is that people really like the intros because it gives them some context on the sport. But I want to ask you guys as you're sitting here, what do you think about our, about our intros with the current events 
have you learned anything? And do you have any feedback for us on those? Start with you, Ardith. Okay. Um, I didn't know how much I didn't know about running. <laughs> um, I love the way you guys will key up a race, talk about who's going to be in it, get into it about um, where your picks would be, how you think somebody's going to do, and then take that apart afterwards. And I am super excited now getting ready for Worlds. I mean, yes, and I did listen to it all the way through. I, kn I know <laughs> wow. that was worried you, but uh, I You did. are definitely a fan, artist. I love it. definitely I, a fan. <laughs> I just, you know, it, it was interesting listening to Worlds after listening to everything else you've done to understand where, to really learn where the United States is in their strengths and their weaknesses, both for men and women, as runners on a world stage yep. and then who the people to watch are locally and can i just tell you molly huddle wow who knew um amazing she's amazing so yeah i i i never ran prior like you i played soccer and i never ran prior to really falling into it later in life and um and so there's so much i didn't know about track and field and now i can't wait and i think to steve's point the the commentators aren't great so, you know, you're not getting anything of what you're sharing prior to those races. So you turn it on, and if it's exciting to watch or if they've got a great form, you're all in. But um, And then I think I was really disappointed to hear, maybe I've just been blind, but, you know, where the challenges are in our sport with how people are trying to make unfair advantages um, through various methods in the sport. Yeah, that ebbs and flows for me, as Steve knows. I go back and forth on it. but. I think the important thing on that that we've wanted to educate people about is that, yeah, it's there. It's a it's an ugly underbelly, but it's about time that we flip that over so people can see and at least go into it eyes wide open, knowing, you know, who those athletes that are suspect and who the ones you should or can maybe believe in. Because I think when you when you have those cues, like when you know the ones you can believe in, it changes the game for me at least because then I know I can root even harder for the ones I believe in knowing that they're doing it not only clean but and competing against you know the best in the world but they're competing against those that have unfair advantages and if they can win then then it's a super triumph Gene how about you how have you reacted to our intros have you learned anything before I answer that um I just want to say I've read an article this morning uh in the Guardian about um, African athletes flipping countries and how much pressure they're under and, you know, they're doing it for the money, you know, because their lives are a lot harder than, you know, a lot of other people's lives around the world, you know, and, and it just really opened my eyes to, like, there's not one side to this story. And these athletes are doing things, you know, just for survival, you know, and for, and for you know, helping their families and getting out of poverty. And then they're forced into this somewhat by their coaches and, yeah. And their and, agents. And yeah, their, I mean, yeah. That, that, that's a great point because if you look at the Italian coaches and agents, especially in Kenya, I mean, a lot of them have brought this crisis doping to the country. And as you say, when you're looking at a living a life of poverty versus having one good race appearance, at a major marathon, then that's a life-changing thing, and so. Well, and also the article pointed out that you know they they these countries are recruiting them right, and for their own purposes to promote you know their country or whatever. I don't even know why, but yep. you know, and and they feel pressured, you know, 
and it's just really the article was really sad you know it was one one woman one female athlete was describing her experience and you know it was very very sad they're used yeah they're used and then they're discarded Bahrain is notorious for it but you know on the other side of it there is a flip to that that needs to be spoken about which is Kenya can take four people, three people to the world championships, a fourth if they've won, if their country has won a world championship in that event. So in the 1500 or in the women's steeple, if you don't, if they don't go to Bahrain, if they don't come to the United States, if they don't go to other places, they're not going to compete. They're not going to make their top three, the fourth person. So there's such a, there are so many great East African runners, especially Kenyan runners, and they get chances to compete. So while they are, many of them are in sort of a slavery slash indentured servitude role. Some of them are also like Jabet, the steeplechaser, who's the Olympic gold medalist. She is. Um, there are challenges for her, but Bahrain gave her the opportunity that Kenya might not have given her, and she's gotten better and better because of it. Because so, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Who knows? Yeah. But at the end of the day, there are abuses. But the good news is they have a chance to apply their trade. You know, if you're if you're a hedge fund manager and you're not working it in New York City, you can go to London or you can go to Hong Kong, Singapore. You, there's places you can go to do to, to apply your trade when you're trying to represent your country. You won't. And the biggest show is the World Championships and the Olympic Games. You only have three spots on the team. It, there are so few opportunities for those folks. The United States is about to be in that similar situation. We have been in the sprints for a long, long time. The hardest team. They say the United States Olympic Trials is the hardest team to make, and that is. Now, especially with the distances having distance races being much better, because Artif, to your point, you know, when I was a fan in the eight, I was really came of age in the eighties as a fan, and we had no distance runners to watch. There was we we sucked. We were terrible. So, it's a it's a golden era now for Americans watching track and field, and I think that's why Chris and I are so excited about doing the intros. Is we feel like we've actually got something. There's something to sell, which is really really cool. But the other thing I'll say on your point, Gene, is that it is complicated and it's easy for people to throw stones from here and say, oh, you shouldn't cheat. You know, cheaters are terrible people. But until your livelihood is at stake and, you know, I, I talk to people about it in cycling all the time, or at least in using cycling as a context is for most of those guys, it's a decision of, am I going to make a living, not even a lot of money, but a living doing the sport I love, the only thing I know how to do well or do I go home and and do what? You know? So a lot of them were face are faced with this decision of can I make a basic living doing what I love? And if I do or and if I'm gonna do that, I have to cheat in the context of that culture. And if I don't, I'm out and I'm discarded and then then what? So most people could sit here and say, Well, I would have made the, the choice, you know, not to do it. I'm like, Well, I think most people put into that situation of choosing your livelihood and your passion for versus doping it most people would make the choice differently than maybe they think and they're inundated in the culture so that's the thing about cycling is when you're in that culture you don't think there's anything wrong with it because everybody's doing it so it's like it's literally keeping up with the joneses plus who knows in kenya i mean i think kenyan marathoning is right now in our sport maybe the the dirtiest of of the sport in terms of in terms of doping but you're You've got Italian agents and Italian coaches. Who knows what they're telling these athletes? They could be telling them, hey, take this. It's a supplement of sort or these are injections. So there's 
they're I mean, and maybe they know at some level, but it's possible that they're being duped, you know, to take things that that are are illegal, but under different auspices. So so I I'm definitely not one to throw stones, but it is unfortunate that we have to talk about it. You know, it's a part of the deal. Yeah. So. So, on wait, back on your intros, um I like them and it's helped me to relate my, you know, my sport cuz I I think I have a disconnect a little bit before I started listening to you guys talk, like what I do is not what they do, you know? And now w- when you discuss it and talk about them and then also talking to to Kara Goucher, it kind of brought it all together. Like we're all doing the same thing, yeah. you know, and that she has the same issues that we have. So in that perspective, I like it, but um, it's a little much. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. And I can't process all that, you know? Yeah. No one has to be a super fan. Chris and I are just super fans. You don't have to be it. If you can pull out the thing to me, that's the coolest thing, Gene, is you recognizing that Kara Goucher is similar to you. Kara Goucher reaching out to you and knowing that that's the cool thing about Kara is she reaches towards you as a in all of her social media posts and everything that she does. She's about connecting with her fan base, not from the revenue generating standpoint, but she truly sees you all as equals. And she she knows she does the work. And she doesn't know whether you do or you don't, but she doesn't judge you because of it. And she says, let's all do this together. Let's empower each other. Um, you know, Kara being female, she raises that bar for women on top of all of that, too, which is, you know, at Rogue, we've we've got a lot of women in our training programs. We're primarily, for a long time, we were almost 70% female. Now I think that numbers have shifted back to more like 60, 40. But um, it's just so cool to see our listeners and the average everyday runner that's been in rogue feel like they are connected to at least some part of our sport. I think you saying that makes Chris and I feel good. Like maybe we're actually achieving something. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I'm so glad that Kara brought up the Nike women's marathon because I've done that race and I actually met her there. She was at a fan event and it was great. It was awesome. And you know, you just don't get that opportunity. I met her and Shalane. And yeah, it, it puts you, it, it just makes you enthusiastic about the sport. And like you said, it lifts us up. Yeah. And as far as being much, we get that. It's okay. You, you know, <laughs> it's, drinking, yeah, it's I, drinking from a fire hose sometimes. We know that we'll get you over time. Confe- <laughs> I, I will confess that I've hit the fast forward button a few times. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's uh, okay. We will, we will work on you there. Already listened to two straight hours of World Championship. Yeah. Does, does it help if I tell you I was doing some house cleaning at the time? <laughs> no, it doesn't, it says <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't whatever, matter. Either. Whatever it takes. Yeah. Whatever we were we were drinking beer at the time. So. <laughs> 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 that might have been going we on were too. Confer- <laughs> confirmed, both of us this time. Okay, so thank you for responding to my questions. I put you on the hot seat first, and now you get to put us on the hot seat. We're going to start with Gene. Gene, you're going to lead us off here with a few questions all of these kind of fall along the lines of mental training, but we're going to, I think, cover a lot of bases here. So go for it, Gene. Question number one. Okay. So um, as somebody who's been running for a long time, you know, we've, I've done training programs with you guys and with others, never talked about mental training with anybody. And so when I started listening to the podcast and Ardith and I started having this conversation about what you were talking about and what it meant to us, 
you know, one of the things I was like, wow, what is with all this mental training? Like I never, I've been running for years and I never knew I had to have a purpose and do a little art thing and, you know, <laughs> transcend. <laughs> so it's kind of, it was kind of weird. And, but then as I was thinking about it and I was thinking about Boston, cause I did it just this spring. Um, I did some of these things and I didn't really even realize I was doing it. So throughout the race, you know, I was talking to myself and I had these little mantras and whatever, but, and I, and I visualize, I, I do that a lot. And I've always known that I do that. I'll visualize the finish line actually almost in every run that I do, I paint an imaginary finish line. And I imagine that I'm crossing the finish line in whatever race is coming up. So I do it constantly. Um, anyway, so the, the question is, I really want to know, like, how, how these things really get incorporated in. Like, how you have a dialogue about mental training and, you know, why, why do you need this? So, for example, having a purpose. I've never had a purpose for running. I just do it. And so I just don't know how that relates to what's going on. Well, first of all, I think your point about not a lot of people talk about mental training is one of the reasons why we've done the podcast on it, because we recognize that it's as big a part of deal as the physical side of things. And so that's why we wanted to, to do and create content on it, because Frankly, it is often neglected by any program. Going back to, though, your question on why does the purpose matter? To me, as your coach, that's an easy one to answer because, because uh -oh. I, know, uh -oh. I, I know that you have purpose running. And, and I guess to me, to frame it back to you, it'd be what would happen if you didn't have running? Because I know how much it means to you, right? To the point yeah. where it can be emotional at times. So what would happen if you didn't have running? And I think if you can answer that question, then it points to why you do it. I don't really think I could survive without running. I don't think I could make it through the day. You know, if I don't run in the morning, my day sucks. So here's the thing about purpose. It is the meta it is the biggest picture it's like do you think about the oxygen that you breathe we don't think about it we just breathe in oxygen if all of a sudden it was carbon dioxide we know really quick that it was that we need it and purpose is that way that's why we bring it to your attention is that it's this ongoing subtext that you're basing your running life on and in my experience to this point having watched athletes at every level i believe it's all of your life is filtered through this I won't make everybody stand that strong in that with me, but I do know it's your running life. And because one of the most important things that you do with your body on a day-to-day -day basis is run, purpose and running go hand in hand. But again, like oxygen, you don't, and, and you don't know that your purpose is being engaged at all levels at all times. That's fine. And I, there are people who can, that's heavy shit. There's people who can handle that. And they want to get, they want to go into that space and they want to wrestle with the angel. They want to mess with it. They want to figure out what's going on with it. And there's other people that are like, yo, yo, wait, that's too much. Like, can we just leave it at, I like to do it and move on. Um, as long as I've got the ability to come back as a coach to my athlete and say, 
let me remind you why you do this. Because that's how we came up with this whole idea of, of, mental tr of, of the purpose piece was I was coaching elite athletes who I was trying to figure out why the hell they were actually suffering, why they were not making any money at this sport, why they were putting all this time and energy into it. And when we would get into a hard workout and they wanted to, they wanted to quit, I needed something to hold on to to say, no, you told me you wanted to do this. And me just saying, no, you told me you wanted to do this doesn't work. So I had to go to a core, a core place, which is purpose. And once I was clear on their purpose, my ability to coach them was so it was so much easier because I didn't have to touch foundational principles. Like the foundation was set. They told me well, one person in case, one case in point, a person who has really lives a faith based life. He's a strong Christian. He ran so he could give glory to 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 his maker in his opinion. So anytime he wanted to bail. I was easy to say, you told me what your purpose is, and you're going to tell me that doesn't matter to you right now? It made my job a whole lot easier. Really, really so easy. So you use it. Absolutely. <laughs> because cause this is the point, Gene. You're using it already. You just okay. may not be yeah. conscious of it. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I see that. It reminds me of Chariots of Fire. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now, and funny enough, I used to watch Chariots of Fire before every marathon. It was you like probably my did a ritual. lot of sleeping right before it because <laughs> you fall asleep during that. Yeah, one. exactly. <laughs> but it would tap into something because to me, the the purpose is the difference between like a good result or a decent result and a great result. Because when you go to the dark place, and in a marathon you're gonna go to the dark place, it's easy to quit if you don't know why you're doing it. Easy to just finish, easy to just cruise in versus digging into the suffering, leaning into the suffering and getting the most out of it. So at Boston, right, Steve gave a speech before the, ra the day of the night, night before the race. And one of the things he said was, this is your chance to be a hero. And when I was at like the darkest place <laughs> during that race, and it was a hard one, that that came into my brain like okay I have to be a hero and and so it, it made me wonder was, was that you injecting purpose you know did you intentionally do that yeah, I mean I intentionally used the term hero because in Boston heroes abound right and, yeah. and the storylines of the races the the the, the trauma that has happened there the the fact of how hard it is to get there and, and everyone, I believe, that was in that room thought of them that way. But it was basically a trope or a way for me to connect you back to why you're doing it. And that you want to be Superwoman. And we all do, right? We Wonder Woman. We, be, we want to be our best selves. We want to be heroes. And it's, that race was an easy place to plug that. So that's what I'm doing when I do speeches like that is frequently saying, how will this experience resonate with the athlete? across groups because I wasn't talking to just the people I coach. I was talking to other people too. And how do you, and the good news is I was talking mostly to rogues. So we're all in the same tribe. We're all dipped in the, in that water. So, um, it's, but it's hard to come up with new ones every year. Like, like I'm not going to be able to go back to that next year. Like, Steve is amazing at that. He so is a, he has a skill uh, there, yeah. but you were also in that moment connecting to being a hero for your team, the morning show, knowing that people were watching. Right? Yeah. And for artists, because she had planted in my brain that she wanted to do Boston again. So I wanted to show her the way, you know, that was, that was part of it. Mm -hmm. But I think, and now I'm thinking that since that resonated so much with me, that that's somehow connected to my purpose. But it's like purpose, 
situational like was that my purpose for that race and I'll have another purpose but it doesn't sound that way it's like I need to find an overarching theme purpose I think there's a bigger umbrella sure but there's little tentacles and offshoots of that right I mean we talked about it in in our one-on-one on on this show episodes like 23 and 24 that at some level I'm doing this because I want to inspire people that's a part of my purpose and there's lots of ways that can play out and lots of different pieces within that that I can connect to in any given moment and so yeah I do think there's an umbrella but there are situations where it's going to be kind of smaller versions of that so I'm going to put you on the hot spot in the hot seat for a Uh second have you actually written out your statement of purpose no then uh, then let me tell you do it because what will happen is well, go ahead. You go ahead. You've got a you've got a response. So yes, I do. I've been working on it. I've I've written um, notes around it. You know, I kind of followed your little instructions. I I wrote about my who are my running heroes, who are my general heroes, that kind of stuff. But I haven't. I have to go back to it and connect it all together. I haven't really put it into a succinct. I haven't found it. Well, um, and I think that that is so. The doing of it answers some of the questions that you're asking once you actually have to physically put it on paper and have it in a written form that you might share with someone else. Because, and like, I, I like, really, like your coach. and I really encourage you. <laughs> I really, I, number one, I, I also encourage you to take as long as it takes because that's one of the things that we tried to make a point of in our, in our, um, our podcast on that. But I don't think we made it quite well enough. I think we kind of pushed people to try to get it solved. It's a real hard solve, and I know that when I worked with my elite athletes, I frequently sent them many. They came back to me with multiple. Many of them had to rewrite it. They just wrote me pablum, complete horseshit, that I had to shift back to them um, or get clarification. And then others, one person wrote me a three-page statement of purpose that there was nothing I could do with it but just say, wow, like that's there's a lot there. It was, it was more for me to unpack than I could with that athlete with the limited time I had, but I knew that they were coming at every, they knew when they came to me with any question, I would have a place of reference with which to help them truly solve what they needed solved. And I think that you should take as long as it takes, but you should do it because the actual writing down of the paragraph or two paragraphs or however long it takes really helps a lot because, um, when I give speeches, I write a lot of words down, but when the speech comes out, it's not what I wrote down, but that speech is better than all the notes I wrote. And you just put out something eventually. When the time comes, when you feel it right, it'll help a lot. And then we, as Chris and I say, you gotta go back and revise it sometimes. Sometimes it'll change, it'll morph, it'll move. Usually it doesn't, usually it's right, it's a pretty big thing, it's really kind of a core principle in your life, but I think that it sounds to me like you just need to take the next couple steps, put all those notes into an actual paragraph or two, see where it rolls from there. Because I bet some of those questions or some of those worries about it will be answered at that point. Okay. Let's bring Ardith into the conversation. Any reactions to the discussion so far? Any other follow-ups on that question? No, one of the, I think I was with Gene when it comes to really getting dialed into the purpose. I mean, I, like you said, I, I loved your question about what would happen to you if you didn't run. Because I can't. I can't think about that. That it doesn't mean I always love it, but I can't really imagine a life that doesn't have running in it. Um, 
So when you dial it into that and you start writing it down, but but I do believe it does change. I do believe that at different points in your life or at different places where you are or in your goals, that um, intrinsically probably not because it's who you are. But I think I think the reasons you're doing it and what you're looking for at that finish line does change. Yeah, I agree. And no I think, doubt about and it. And I think seasonally there's different things that you're, you know, like for each race, a race that I might have in my schedule, there's going to be a little different mantra, a little different kind of part of that that I connect to that means something more to me in that moment or that season than it does, you know, maybe broadly. So I agree with you. And and if I can, I think with Jean's experience, I had a race that I didn't have the purpose that was mine. It was somebody else's purpose, I think. And when I got to that place with about two miles left, it was really hard to figure out why I was there and what I was going to do to get through that finish line. Because it, it dawned on me I was doing it for somebody else and something else. And that's that's a long time, 23 miles, to finally realize that was like, uh-oh. <laughs> I got a few more miles to go. Part of my sense... Gene, with you on this one is that you're a little bit scared to go there to like let yourself be vulnerable to the point of understanding the emotions behind why you do this and that's okay because it's heavy like as Steve said it's heavy (laughs) shit but I think you need to let yourself go there and if it brings up emotion and tears or whatever else that comes with this kind of internal self-discovery process let it all come out because that's when you get to the good stuff okay we'll get beer later let's try (laughs) (laughs) so you had a sub question there that i really would like to address um and it was i don't know if it's going to come up later and if it does we can just wait but you asked how do these training how do these mental training principles apply in workouts right right you at good times because i can really see it working when you're in the dark place right you have to have the mantras you have to talk your way through it you have to talk to the devil on your shoulder all of that stuff makes sense but how does it make sense when you're in a workout and you just want to perform better or you're in a good place and you want to solidify that so let me give you a concrete example that happened thursday so we had a workout yesterday the workout is a it's called the zilker crush and um i'm at a weird place with my training group we are starting we don't start cim training till september 1st but here we are at the beginning of August, and I've got to continue to check to see where people are at. I wanted to see, based on the workout that we had, what would happen if I pushed them really hard but gave them an option on how hard they got pushed. They had to select. So the, I, we had, the workout is, over at Zilker, we do a 2K rep at your half marathon pace with a minute rest. You do 1,600 meters at your 10K pace with a 400-meter rest. Then 1,200 meters at your 5K pace with a 800-meter rest. And then 800 meters at faster than 5K pace with a 1,200 meter rest. So lots of rest at the end as you go faster. Lots of time to recover. And they had to do either one set or two sets. So they chose. And I said, do not start the second. You decide. You're either going to do one set or you're going to do two sets. Like, do we have to decide before we start? No. But at some point in time, I'm not going to let you do some portion of the second set. You're either ready to take on the whole enchilada or you're just going to eat a taco. One set is a taco, a whole enchilada is two reps. And you decide, 
the, the physiological training principles at play there were not mostly suffering, changing paces. It's a tough workout. You, you, you can, as you, I, I talk about, it seems like a hard workout. To do two sets of that, it's a lot, you know. I saw people coming back from that workout. <laughs> <laughs> they look shattered. <laughs> so, so the reason, so the, the reason, the mental training principle at play there was making a decision, knowing, reaching down and saying, no matter how good or how bad it goes, I've decided. And both people who chose one rep did not, many of them made the right choice. They made the right choice for where they were that day, given where they were going. And they now know that failing is not, fail. that's not a fail. That's knowing their body, listening to their body. And I know I've got many texts after that. People saying to me, I feel like a big puss. I should have finished that workout. I should have done the second set. And my text back to them was, hell no. You made the right decision. You made the decision that you made that day. Two people in that group, two young women who are really aggressive with their time goals and knowing where they want to go, they kept asking me and asking me and asking me. And I just kept saying, you're either going to do one or you're going to do two. And their statement was, well, I'm not going to be able to finish all of the second one at my paces. I said, life's uncertain. Like, life is uncertain. You never know what's going to happen. So are you going to just do one or are you going to do two? I don't freaking care. It doesn't matter to me which one you do. Make a decision. So the mental, and they chose to. They hit all their paces all the way through on all of them. Two things happened there. Number one, they faced up to the fact that what they're trying to do is hard work, which they know, but everyone fights that. Everybody actually fights the hard work. Everybody says they want to wrestle with it, but they don't want to get there. They want to stay away from it, right? Number two, I wanted them to recognize that they couldn't really fail if they finished the workout. So whichever way they decided, they weren't going to fail. And I, so I used mental, I went into that workout saying, okay, I've got these physiological principles I want to get accomplished, but here's the mental training game that I'm trying to get managed. Because now that we've been doing these mental training things, we've articulated them, we've lined them out. It's way easier for Chris and I to start implementing them in real time in workouts. But I don't, I don't advertise it to the group. Oh, we're going to do mental training today. Because they're not going to sign off. They're all going to say, oh, hell no. Yeah. That's not my, I don't do that woo-woo shit. I don't, one of my athletes says, literally says, like, that's mind games and nobody plays mind games with me. And I'm like, well, they might not want to be, need to be your coach because I'm, I'm lying and it's, I'm lying and cheating and stealing all the time to try to get what I'm trying to get. So anyway, so I just wanted to give you an example of, yes, there was some suffering. There was some positivity. There were some people who, who felt like they failed. But at the end of the day, I was implementing those mental training protocols that we've talked about in a particular workout. So let's get to your next question, Gene, because I think it also digs into this practical side of the mental training. So okay. TF yeah. number two for us. Right. So I'm actually one day and three months away from uh, New York City. Um, so where should I be? What should I, what should I, what should I have done by now? And I know um, a couple of your podcasts mentioned where you should be working on your weaknesses first early in the training and then focus on the strengths later, but you didn't really give a time frame for that. So I'm three months out. Where should I be? What should I be working on? I'm going to let Steve answer this one and sure. then I'm going to coach you up. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, th there's no like drop dead time to do it. It's mostly what I would usually tell people is you get closer to trying to reach the goal time that you want, you're going to start getting more and more afraid. You're going to see that number is going to make you more and more nervous. Afraid, let's not use the word fear. That's not the right term. You're going to get, my athletes will usually say, gosh, I'm not sure I'm going to hit the time because now I, I haven't covered more than 18 miles 
and I haven't, or I've done 18 to 20 miles because I don't like my athletes to do a lot of 22 to 24 mile runs. I used to do that a lot. I don't do it anymore. So many people kind of go in a little uncomfortable with where they're at from a volume perspective, and they definitely haven't done you know 18 miles worth of MGP. So when they th- marathon goal pace, so when they think about reaching that time goal, there's this leap that they have to reach across this 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 chasm they have to jump across to believe they can get there because they haven't done the work. They have done all the work they need because on race day they'll show up, but. As you, as my athletes get more and more nervous about reaching that time, I'll say, let's start moving towards your strengths. When you're, when you're still, you know, up on top of the mountain thinking, oh, I've got this, I've got it. Look how I did that one workout at this pace and did that one workout at this pace. And you see yourself sort of knocking down the doors of meeting your objective, but it's still far enough away for you to think, oh, it's not really real yet. I'm not feeling the nerves of it then stay with your strengths. I mean, stay with your weaknesses. But as soon as you start feeling that bubble gut, you start feeling nervous about what's happening and you start questioning your workouts, you go back to your workouts, you're looking at them, you ask for your coach to give you more sort of things to hold on to from a physical training perspective that you can feel confident in getting that time reached, then you should start moving towards your, towards your strengths. Because you want to be, as I like to tell my athletes, healthy, happy, strong, we, we always want to be sure that you're touching base with those things and weaknesses are hard to deal with. So you're already on the other, you're already in the happy place generally because training is going pretty well. So, um, that's what I would say is that while there's no definitive sort of threshold at which you should shift, it's more along the lines of listening to your body's internal cues and the nerves of getting that time reached. Then you start moving towards your strengths. That's what I would suggest. Yeah. I think you're right at that tipping point because it's also about 10 to 12 weeks out that you should start getting your game face on physically as well with the training. Because to me, there's a point in training where you go from always airing like on the conservative side, knowing that you've got plenty of time. So you want to kind of be on the safe side of every workout, every repeat. If you're having questions about what pace I should do or how many reps I should do, it should always be like less than maybe you think until you get to about 10 to 12 weeks out. And then it starts to shift and it's like, okay, now we're into to game mode where I've got to start really sharpening and getting ready for that peak. And then you start to gradually make those decisions of, okay, if, you know, there's eight reps as the max, I'm doing eight. Or if he says do marathon goal pace, you do marathon goal pace versus letting yourself cheat high a little bit or cheat slow a little bit. So you're kind of right in that window where you start to change over to being a little bit more rigorous with your physical training as well. And I think that's the point when you want to start getting more rigorous with your mental training too. As a coach, well, let me say it as an athlete first, I like my timeline is like this, like nine to 12 months out of a peak. I think you should be crafting your schedule for the year, your plan to get to that peak. and that to me also includes revisiting your purpose, thinking about goal setting for that season, which might include a couple of different training blocks leading up. And, you know, and then five to six months out for a marathon, that's when you hone that a little bit, maybe define that purpose more crystal clear for that specific race, pick your goal or think about your goals, whether they're outcome or process oriented for that race. And then give yourself a window from that five to six month period to that roughly three month period where you are now to, as Steve said, kind of play with some of those weaknesses, maybe manipulate your goals a little bit, depending on how things go, how you're feeling and so forth. And then three, 10 to 12 weeks out is when it's 
time to put on the game face. So I think you're in that window for sure. Now, we just talked about choosing purpose being a weakness. So <laughs> now, so it may be a little bit dangerous to go into a really rigorous purpose-seeking moment as you're three months out from your, or pur- purpose-seeking period three months out from your race. But Exce- Except for one thing, is that she's been wrestling with it for a while. So I would give yourself, this is where having a due date would be, would be valuable. And by, me, by due date meaning either produce or leave it. Right. So give yourself a week or two weeks. You've got all the raw materials there. You've had you've got the opportunity. You sit down and you really try to do the work for a little bit to to make it right. And if it doesn't, don't worry about it, because you you're sort of you sort of are kind of in a space where you think this is all bullshit anyway. So, I mean, bullshit in the sense of like you're not really sure if it's actually there. And so if it's not barking at you, and it's not screaming at you, then you can leave it alone and you'll know at that point and you can go back and wrestle with it a little bit later. And I do think that's one of the great things about having you guys on this podcast is it just clarifies, hey, y'all, it takes a while to do the statement of purpose and you're doing it exactly the way you need to do it. Trust that process. But you've got a little window here where you've got a little bit of a due date. Maybe try to push for that, see where it goes. And if it doesn't go anywhere, then just leave it alone. You've got a number of other things that you can work on. You've got a absolutely kick-ass coach. You've got a goal that you're really feeling strong that you can reach. So you don't need all that. You don't need any more choppy waters. Again, going towards your strength, not worrying about your weaknesses. And I will say, you should bring your raw materials to a lunch with me (laughs) and we can have margaritas and figure it out. One of my strengths is crystallizing information (laughs) into a summary form. So I bet I can help you get there knowing what I know about you. It's funny because when I started writing things came up that I didn't realize. So yeah, I think we should have a session. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it was eye opening and, and Ardeth and I have been having a dialogue over the past two, two or three weeks Mm -hmm. about this and about our, you know, thought process, our, you know, it's been interesting because we've been running together since we really started training for marathons and to sort of open up with each other about our thoughts on ourselves and, you know, each other's running. So that's been really helpful too. Not saying this is what it should be, but to be able to talk to somebody that knows you that well and, and help get some clarity there. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know things about her that maybe she doesn't even recognize. So that's the magic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not writing Jean's purpose. And, no. And, uh, no. and, you know, your coach does too. So, so yeah, I think what? as Steve said, it's what? time it's time to maybe put a little <laughs> deadline on it. And you've got the raw material, so let's just get it together. Because I do think if we can crystallize that over the next few weeks... It's going to make New York even more meaningful for you. So we kind of got to your third question embedded in that one, Jean. So I'm going to go throw it to Ardith here. Give her a chance to jump in on this. Ardith, we're looking at question nine for you. So if you want to jump in with that, we'll, we'll keep rolling. Yeah, thanks. So one of the things that listening to this podcast has really done is um, – Austin has a really, really unique and remarkable running community. And if you haven't had the opportunity to leave Austin once you've become a runner here, you may not recognize that. And, um, and so the podcast has really sort of reinvigorated my running, made me think about my purpose, made me really think about why I do it. But it also brought up the question of good coaches and, and finding good training programs because so much of of the running market you find are about a 16 week train up to hit a performance, a command performance. And honestly, 
I remember when I was training with Mac back um, back with Rentex that, you know, even going into Boston that first time, he said, you know, really, we trained to train up until about that last three months. So how do you actually go about finding a coach in a new market space that has, you know, like you've been talking about, Steve and Chris, if you're talking about getting your running to where you want it to be in 18 months and you don't want to frighten them with the woo-woo, what are you talking about to, to not only dial in on what your current goals are, but how you get a longer goal through that? Well, I think it's a hard one to answer because honestly, there's not a lot of programming out there that is similar to Rogue, at least that we can see and that people have told us. You know, they go to Houston, they go to Chicago, they go to all over the country. People, We've had people leave Austin and, and say, we can't find what you guys provide. And so I do think it is hard. But if I were in that situation, having to, to kind of move outside of Austin, then to me, the questions would be more about, is it more than just a macro, just a spreadsheet that says run this? on these days, do your long run of 12 or 14 or 16 or 20 on these days. Because I think a lot of what's out there now, whether it's online or in groups, is you just get a schedule basically. And then you and then you might get people to run with as a part of that, but you're not really getting coaching. You're getting, you know, just a, a plan, you know, without really the invested coach. And so the questions I would ask is, what of a coach would be, what do you invest in your athletes what are you helping them with besides just providing a schedule how much time do you invest in that and then you're going to find out with those answers how invested they are I mean I tell my runners all the time I said look you you may not realize this yet but I'm as invested in your goals as you are so you lose I lose like that's how visceral I feel when it relates to my athletes performances and I know Steve is the same way he talks about his win-loss record but like we feel your pain, you know, when you don't hit the result that we've been striving for together. And that's what you're looking for as an, in a coach is somebody who feels it with you. And it's hard to find that. So I've got a couple practical things. The first thing I would re- suggest is go to your local running shoe store and ask um, the most senior shoe salesperson, the guy or girl who's been there for a long time. Number one, who are the good coaches in town? Number two, who do you have coach you? And um, I would start with the first question first because they're going to have a lot. Uh, they will probably have a list of two to three to four probably. Then when you ask them who they co- are coached by or who have they been coached by, then it allows you to kind of ask a few questions of them and what did you like? Because you as a, I can tell you, Artif, you are going to want things, you're going to want a different set of coaching attributes than another person would and you are pretty clear on you've had really good coaches a lot of really good coaches especially if you've been a multi-sport athlete the coaches in multi-sport are in almost all cases significantly better coaches than running coaches are Mm -hmm. the reason is they've had to go through some knowledge-based stuff in swimming cycling and running and they usually are pretty adamant about checking those boxes off and the training for triathlon is specifically uh, really it's pretty scientific to get all those things right so they've going to come with a pretty good background of science there 
But in the running world, it's a lot of loosey-goosey, go by feel, this is what I do, this is what the book says, or cult of personality stuff, which is just I have a group of 50 people, and so I must be the best coach in town. So the first thing is go to your local running shoe store, check in with the community that you're at. Number two, nearly every single town or every single place has a college coach. In your case, UTSA has a fantastic coach named Dave Hartman. He's an amazing human being. If he can't coach you, he knows somebody in town. He knows who the best coaches in town are. He knows who the people are doing it right and who aren't doing it right. And each town has that. If I were in Portland, Oregon, you could go to a couple places that you could ask people. And whether that person is willing to coach you or not, Dave may not be ready, and you may not be in a position to be able to do that. He may be, a, a coach may charge too much or not charge enough or not charge, and so they don't give you the return that you want. Who knows? There's a lot of, it's hard to find the right coach and to find a place with that. But you can definitely li- find out who the best coaches in town are. And then you work on trying to figure out who is going to be the best match for you. Every single community has good coaches. Some of them are not currently coaching because they either didn't have athletes that were worthy of their time and energy. And I think that's what happens is a lot of coaches get sick and tired of people not being coachable. If I didn't have a set of coach athletes that were coachable, I would not coach. I, I, got, I yelled at my team a couple week, a couple, about a week and a half ago. I was like, you know what? I don't fucking want to do this for individuals. Like, I don't care. I do this right now for my team. And if you're not a part of the team, then get the heck out of here. Like, I don't, I don't, don't ask me to write you an individualized training plan exactly for you because you don't need it right now. You've got the most amazing group of people right now at 530 in the morning on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Shut up and run. Um, now, that doesn't mean that I don't work with them individually and go through their individual goals and everything else, but at that point in time, they needed a little push about that way because they kind of were getting a little needy and were trying to figure out where they were, and maybe some of them weren't really engaged in the next step that had to happen. So anyway, my first thing is go to your community. Number two, check with the great coaches in your community, and my, by that time, you'll probably have a list of about three to four people. Send inter- emails. Be persistent. Continue to ask for it. If you prove you're coachable, coaches will come out of the woodwork to work with you i guarantee you and then you just got to look at do i need somebody to hold a watch and see me do my work or am i going to be able to be able to get information across to them appropriately like i'm a i'm not probably the very best online coach i do a lot of intuitive stuff and so i need to kind of see my athlete running so if i were going to coach someone i would say can you come up and be on saturdays at least once a month so i can actually see you and know what's going on with you because i got to read a lot of information that way other coaches are really scientifically based and they can tell by your heart rate by your cadence by a number of other variables that they hold supremely important i want to say this no one coach is right everybody there's a nuance and a flow and a and a consistency that will resonate with each individual athlete that you need to find. I will also tell you, you may actually find that there are really good coaches in your community, people who aren't currently coaching, who might be able to coach you. So someone who's in your running group, somebody who you run with consistently who said, if you gave them the template of what you wanted, they could just feed you back what you did because you're pretty knowledgeable. You, you've coached before. You do coach currently. You could probably write a really good training plan for yourself, but you certainly don't want to be the principal person implementing that training plan because you're going to cheat it or you're not going to know if it's right or a lot of different things can happen. Maybe you've got someone you trust who knows you really well who can help with that. You know, there's a lot of, so I'm just saying there's a lot of variables. It doesn't necessarily have to be a traditional sort of rogue, the way we do it here. There's a lots of other ways to skin that cat. That's, you know, you just brought up a couple of things that, that really resonated. Um, the idea because that is one of the biggest challenges if if you're running with a group that you really enjoy but they're not necessarily 
but you're also kind of self-coaching. You're right. Um, but but the other piece of that that you've just don't helped me realize is you have to know what type of, of athlete you are for coaching. Like if somebody were to send me this and said, send me your numbers when you're done with this and and then I'll send you my, your next your next workout, there's I'd sleep in. I mean, I am I am that person that wants to show up because other people are there now. How hard I have to work—that's up to me. But but that's you just made me think about that too. What's important to me in a program, and how do I need to get that work done? Because I might have a great coach, but if they're going to do it one on one, and it's going to be electronic, I'm probably not the right athlete for them. And it, it it's important to know that, and then search for what it's out there. The right coach for you is out there, and they're waiting for you. I would say that to everybody. They're waiting for you, and you because they because once you create that relationship, when my athletes resonate and understand where I'm coming from, and we're on the same page, it's a it's not an easy. It's like dancing, right? It's mm-hmm. a it's it's challenging. It's physically difficult, but there's you dance with, and each one of them is a different dance partner. Right? They all dance differently, and it just makes. That me have the greatest job in the world because I can, I still dance the way I dance, but everybody brings out something different in me as a coach, and it makes it the process so creative and fun and interesting. It's it's a really beautiful thing. I also think it's possible that that coach may not be in San Antonio, and that you can actually develop a relationship with someone that's virtual or through the phone that is if as effective for you. I know I coach some people. That used to train in the morning show, but have moved away and couldn't find a find the right coach in their destination. And, and because I know them as an athlete, and we communicate over the phone, then they get what they need mm-hmm. in me, even though I don't live in the same city. So I think that's also possible if you're open to that kind of relationship. All right, let's get to your next question because I think we're getting into some of the mental side of your demons, which is where we have the most fun. So, question ten, give it to us, Ardith. <laughs> Okay, um, when, especially the last couple of races I've run, I haven't had a team, I, the self-coaching, and the apprehension as I build into that race, even though all my numbers are there and everything on paper looks great, the apprehension that Bill is getting ready for that run has really surprised me lately. Up until the last one, when I got ready to run Napa, I literally got a lung infection. And I went to the doctor, and they did everything, and they said I didn't have anything. There, there wasn't anything on an x-ray. There wasn't, they couldn't find a thing, but I had, I mean, I couldn't breathe. And, um, and I, I realized that I was doing a lot of the, the work on paper, but I wasn't doing the mental training that would help me or developing those resources that I had had before. I also hadn't run a marathon in seven years. So, but, um, but I realized there's a lot of resources that I wasn't prepared for going into a race. And then, and then when I got into that race, actually, the best choices day before the race, and then what it takes when you start really dialing into that last two, three, four miles. And, um, and one of the things that, that you two brought up was, was practicing for some of that mental toughness. And I love this idea of mental isn't between your ears. It's, it's taking it into your body and into your cells so that when you're running, like I tell athletes sometimes, like, like get used to what it feels like to run up a hill because you may be in a race and start having a lot of problems breathing and not realize you're running up a hill. So you mentioned 5Ks and 10Ks, which terrify me because those are fl- 5Ks, are the, uh, they are flat out awful in so many ways. But I also realized 
that might be a path to success. So what does that look like for me? If I'm using a 5K as a mental training, how do, what do I put out for myself to give it the same weight as, as say, that marathon? It depends. It depends a little bit on your goals and what you're trying to accomplish with that race. I love practice races, especially for people that have struggle mentally. Either they struggle mentally is often how I use it, or sometimes they just struggle with race execution. They can't get the paces right or they go too fast always. And so they end up in a darker place than they should at the end of a race because they haven't executed it well. So I think practice races are great. A 5K, as an example, could be used in a lot of different ways. One way would be to say, hey, Ardith, I'm going to intentionally tell you to go out too fast, knowing that you're going to get into a really dark place and then just have to deal with it. You know, it's kind of like Steve letting some people choose the second rep in that workout that she was describing, knowing that they were probably in over their heads, and but also knowing that once they started, they had to finish, and no matter what, finishing was more important than any specific pace in that workout. And for that race, maybe the total time doesn't matter. It just matters how you dealt with that suffering when it came. And so sometimes that might be the goal. Like intentionally go out too fast, get to a dark place, and then just see what happens. Because the best way to deal with the unknown is to face it. But on the flip side, there could also be a real plan to say, hey, Ardith, we're going to try to execute a nice progression here. We're going to start intentionally slower and finish that last mile as fast as possible. You know, that being the goal in that race to practice progression and practice being controlled early in a race. And then getting to that point in the last mile where, you know, you know, you could slack off and it would be, it would hurt less, but your goal is to get your fastest mile. So you do it and you kind of deal with those late race demons. And so there's different ways you could use a 5k to accomplish different goals, depending on where you're at. Same thing with any race. I like to use 10ks and half marathons in marathon preps because you can use them a couple of different ways. One, they could just be an, an all-out fitness test where they're truly racing the entire race to try to see where they are and then deal with whatever comes up in that. But more often than not, I'll give people a plan, say, because I want to teach them not only how to deal with the mental demons, but I also want to teach them to how to execute a race appropriately. And so a lot of times I'll say, okay, your goal for this half marathon is for the last mile to be the fastest. And we might have some pace guidelines or effort guidelines before that, but your mission isn't accomplished unless your last mile, 13th mile of that race is your fastest mile. And that teaches people to manage their efforts. It teaches people to execute a race plan the right way. It, it gives them a victory that tells them what it should feel like if they run a race the right way. And so there's lots of different ways and Steve has his, I'm sure, but it's just, it's practice both dealing with the mental things and also executing the race in the right way. Yeah, so I would say one of my favorite lines, it comes into play here, which I'll, I'll probably have to work you back towards after. Um, what does the race require? So you should be saying, in your, if you had a difficult marathon experience or you're coming into a big race, ask yourself, based on your run, your running history your race experience and your training as you've done what is this race going to require from you and you're probably got sick because you were subconsciously aware of what the race was going to require but yet hadn't consciously gone through the steps beforehand to sort of delineate those mm-hmm. um you're pretty detail oriented you like to you keep notes you know what you're going you know what you're doing you're so 
do that yourself and just ask yourself at the start, what does the race require? And then make sure your workouts are are hitting some of those key spots. Races are crucial for that. And one of the things I suggest is know what a race is, per, what a race is, what a well-run race looks like in each in each discipline because they're very different. A 5K, the reason you don't like a 5K because it's as close to a marathon as you can possibly get. The duration is just shorter. It's the same thing. It sucks at the beginning because you're worried about what's going to happen at the end. You're not sure if you've gone out too fast or too slow. If you did go out too fast, you're going to die. If you went out too slow, you're going to kick yourself in the butt because you didn't get there fast enough. It's so similar. It's just over a 20-minute or 22-minute or 15-minute window rather than a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour window. So the 5K is a, is a sister race in a lot of ways to the marathon. The 10K, what does the 10K do? Learn to go to the wall and then you can come back from the end. You can really push yourself really, really hard and start to feel yourself blow up. And then you can dial it back a little bit, get controlled, get yourself in a rhythm again, and then push it again and do it again. To me, the least, the least valuable race to run for an athlete from a preparing for what the race requires in a marathon is the half because it's so easy pace-wise comparatively. So what I would suggest in running a half is do as Chris said, come up with something that kind of scares you, either to go out way too fast or to go out way too slow or to put like six miles, five miles at M at 10K pace in the middle of a half and see how you deal with it afterwards. There's lots of different ways to carve up that half marathon to get the most out of it. Don't avoid a half because I just said the half is the less valuable. It's just you're going to need to create um, – an experience that makes it like a workout more because it's pretty easy. Many people are not skilled enough to run an incredibly well-run half marathon. They're very hard to do, right? Because everybody's too scared to run that hard. It's almost like you can run a 10K twice. A, a well-run half yeah. is almost a 10K twice, and most people, that is just so far beyond. I'll never forget what Joe Hill told me at one point in time. He said, when I was looking about, he said the, the two-mile or the 3K is the best race is the most difficult race. Number one, it's right where our VO2 hits. It's like the actual VO2 number. And he said, based on his studies that he'd done, met, these, are, these are physiological studies done year and year and year out over the, with the best athletes utilizing both his lab at, in Alamosa and using the Olympic Training Center's lab in Colorado Springs, was that he was convinced, even though scientifically it was hard to actually make the argument, he was convinced people could run their one-mile time for two miles. That's just the way that lined up. But no one would ever do it. Because no one was physic mentally prepared to actually envision that race effort twice the race distance. And most people who are good at miles, the mile is its own little race. It's a little, it's a little, rarely is it go from the gun hard. Like they, people dance around it. They sort of go out fast and they slow down. There's all these tactics. There's all these things going on. And he was like, if people ran the 3K with two really hard miles that were the same pace, they'd be able to finish it. I always thought that was a little bit crazy, but it made me realize that's probably what's happening in a half marathon. That's probably what's happening in a 10K is that some of these races are just right on this weird physiological edge. And we know that the half marathon is sort of threshold training. And so maybe we're able to run a lot faster for halves than we know. When you look at the best in the world running 60 minutes, sub 60 minutes for half marathons, that's not that far off of what they're doing for 10K stuff. You know. So anyway, just you, my, my recommendation is take those races. Know what your race is requiring take those races to challenge you in that way mentally and physically because as you said racing is somatic so we are not a we are not mind and comma body it's mind body it's all together
There's not separated. We are just culturally acclimate acclimatized to having the separation between the mind and the body the mind take your mind out of your body you can't do it it's in your body it's still it's still chemistry it's still neurochemistry it's just in your body so you got to push it you got to make it recognize that it is part of it yes our ability to transcend you know that big t word right is a weird thing and where all that sits i don't know but that's where chris is right in a lot of the stuff that we talk about his approach to coaching makes a whole lot more sense because he's saying, hey, keep it seated in the body. I like to say, well, let's keep it seated in the body till we get to the very end, and then let's treat it different because I think we might be able to make something happen there, which we still continue to disagree on whether that actually happens <laughs> or not. One thing I'll say, though, is you got to have a purpose for each race in the context of your bigger goal. I get so frustrated when people come to me and they'll say, they'll say hey, I want to do this race. What do you think? And my qu next question is always, why are you doing that race? Not trying to discourage them necessarily, but you give me a reason why you're doing that race so we can get a result out of it. And then you'll have people say, well, I just want to do it for fun. And I'll say, okay, well, that's fine. Let's do it for fun. And if you do it for fun, that means I want you to stay slower than these paces. And then when you're done, I don't want you to get mad about your time because people inevitably want it both ways where they're like, well, I was doing this for fun to take the pressure off but then they'll be disappointed at some level that they couldn't do xyz and so i get very frustrated in those conversations as a coach and i said i was just having a conversation with one of my athletes last night and he's like i'm thinking of doing a race in august and i'm like why he's like well i just feel like i need some kind of barometer for where i'm at i'm like we just did a one mile time trial like that has all the data <laughs> in it that i need on where you're at so doing a half marathon in three weeks isn't going to tell me anything if you have other reasons to do it, then well, let's talk about those. But otherwise, you're not going to convince me that this is a good idea. So every race should have a purpose and go into it with a plan. And it could be just to have fun. And if that's the purpose, then actually have fun and run it so that it's not going to affect your training otherwise. Or have a plan for that race to do some of the things we talked about. Do you think that some people haven't done this kind of work and... They put a race out there because if you don't have a race out there, you don't have a purpose. You know what I mean? It's like you just put the race out there so that there's something. And you don't really think about what you're doing. This is why we preach command performance over and over and over and over. Because, first off, that, that's why we preach it because we want people to stop being full of shit. <laughs> They, they are so full of it. Uh, like that person yeah. is putting that out there because they want some validation that the things that they're doing are worthwhile. If they did a statement of purpose, they would not need to do that. Yeah, if they, uh, yeah that if was they, what I was getting at. Yeah. If they re and, and this is the thing that makes me know that they're full of shit is the closer they get to the race, the way less they really care about the race instead of the opposite. Like, the closer you get to the race, you should care much, much more. I should be walking my athletes, pulling them off of the walls going into races. <laughs> I should be dismantling. They they're climbing up every wall they can possibly climb up. And if I'm not and, – and I like doing that. I'm good at that. Like, I like to do that because I know my athlete's ready. Like, they want it really bad. And so when somebody says that, oh, I, I've got it out there, that's why I, we really preach command performances so that you can have – fun in races and not have this push me pull me about why people are doing things now if anybody is still listening on this podcast then they're 
they're they've drank the Kool-Aid and they're all in, right? So, um, and and I'm not gonna. Con- so I don't think anybody here is gonna anybody that's listening to this is at this point is gonna get offended when I say they're full of shit, because most people at that point in time will realize, yes, I found that out. You found that out two miles to go in your race that the reason that you were doing it, Ardith, was full of shit. Like mm-hmm. it wasn't really why you were doing it, and so you're like, I've got some good work to do. Now, now you're conscious. Now you're actually aware of a reason why you're on this planet. It doesn't have to be global, you know, global warming or the changing the, the world. It can be just you trying to have the best day on a given day. And you trying to do that sort of breaks in half these ideas of snaps, these facile, ridiculous ideas that I'm going to be ready for some future event that I really don't give a shit about. But if I don't put it out there, then I won't have a purpose. Well, you know what? What are you doing? Like, in my opinion, that's the town lake shuffle. Just keep shuffling. Don't listen to this. I, I know at this point in time, the people listening to this podcast are in because they would not have put up with all the crap we're talking about if they were not in. <laughs> I think that's a good segue, Steve, into Artist's next question, which is kind of getting to the center of your purpose. We've talked about Gene's purpose, Artist. What have you got? You know, um, I, I know why I run, and I know my purpose, and I am definitely that runner that loves the social aspects of it and loves the freedom it brings to me and just the place it, it puts me. Um, there's a lot of social rewards, in other words, for me from running. Um, but I think in getting those social rewards met, a lot of times I purposely avoid going to those places where I have to work harder. It, it almost, you know, by helping other people, encouraging other people, it keeps me in a safe zone. That's why I kid you not, my favorite one was Miles Matter. Like, I can just run forever slow. Yay. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't go, I mean, at some point, I get it. You, you got you to gotta kick it in. Um, and so I think that's when we talk about a fear of success. Like knowing what my purpose is and understanding why I do this. How do I start embracing the suck? How do, how do I turn my love of running into that? Like I'm doing it every day. So I want that day, that command performance to be a physical representation of how much I love this. But I got I to gotta learn how to get through the suck to get there. I got to find the suck. So I, this is really, to me, this is one of the most, the simplest, again, simple, That's not me. easy, right? Okay. Simple, simple, not, not easy. easy. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say Tuesday, my group that I coach, come present and correct on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Come ready to go. And on the other days, easy days, go easy. Be social. Have all your social outlets on all the other days that you run. So whatever your quality workout, if you do two quality workouts a week or three to quality workouts a week, counting the long run as a quality workout, it should always be counted as a quality workout. Even on a drop-down week, a long run is a quality workout for marathoners, okay? Actually for everybody. But So if you show up the days that you have workouts, now you've just limited the number of suck scenarios to a minimum. And now not every day is sucking. Some days you're getting the actual, you're getting the kudos and the pat on the back and all the fun that you wanted out of your running. And now on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, or whatever days it is for you, you're saying, okay, now it's suck time. And now each workout, some of those workouts will not be go to the wall and crush yourself. Like threshold work should never get too hard. It should always be in the realm of relative comfort. So 
then you're going to start saying, oh, I kind of like doing threshold workouts because, look, I got kind of toward the edge of suck, but I never had to actually go there because I ran exactly at the paces I'm supposed to run. So then you're like, oh, that's the way I'm supposed to. Now I understand the physiological attributes that I'm trying to gain, and I'm getting some benefit from that. Okay, so now you've now limited, and in my programming and Chris's programming, at 50% of what we do on quality workout days is threshold work. <laughs> so now you're looking at when the, when I have a 5K workout or a 10K workout circled, you know it's suck day, right? So now you're like, what are my paces? I ask my athletes to do three paces. I range them. I, this has changed in the last year for me. I've, I've really embraced a three-pace cycle. And what I ask somebody to do is let's say that they're running around a 315 marathon. They've run a 315 marathon. So I'll say, but they want to run a 310 marathon or a 305 marathon, but they don't know exactly where it is. And they're really dreaming of a three-hour marathon, honestly, right? Because that's how they work. <laughs> so I'll say, we've done 315, so that's your slowest paces. And I make them go 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon paces for that. Then I go five-minute jumps. Then I go to 10, 310 paces, and then I go to 305 paces. So on any given day in a 10K workout, if I have eight times 800 meters at 10K pace, I say, now you've got a range between 3.05 and 3.15. I know you're capable of 3.15. You've run a race already at those paces. Whether you're ready for exactly at that moment, usually the workout with the recoveries and the rests is set up appropriately for you to have some real struggle in the middle of the workout. But if you stay engaged and you stay mentally into, it's going to suck, but I'm okay with that because that's how I get fitter and faster and I have to work on this because it's a box I need to check off you'll get through that time frame. And now you look at it, of all the times that you ran in a month, three of them were suck. And so probably what you've done is you thought a lot more stuff was supposed to suck than it really did. And so you've limited those days to sucking, that are the days that you are potentially going to suck are down to a minimum. Number two, what suck actually is in terms of the pace ranges. And so what I tell them, if they're not allowed to go faster than 305, if they do go faster than 305, we need to talk. And every time they, then I know when they're cheating on the workouts. And it's very hard for me to tell all the time whether people are cheating or not. But they send me their training log and I look at it and go, oh, you cheated, right? Then I also tell them if they run 315 and they can't get any faster than 315. And they, I tell them, if you're hitting 315 paces and you can't go any faster, come see me before you finish the workout. Because I'm probably going to send you away. I'm not going to tell you, take recovery, rest and recovery. You're about to get sick. Tell me about work. Oh, my work is so stressful. I just moved. My family just moved from one home to another home. Well, that's why you're having a bad day. Suck has nothing to do with the workout. It has to do with your life at that moment. And that pace range told me that, okay, you're not able to work in that zone. So then let's leave it alone. Let's come back another day. So suck now has got a lot of different variables, all of which you're probably willing to wrestle with. And they're minimal in the numbers and manageable to the point where you say, and then when you kick suck in the ass... Right? Because you will, on some of those days, you will crush it. You will not, it will not suck. Bam. Now you're, now you're in a pretty amazing place. Steve, it's funny. Like, I almost fell out of my chair with your practical answer there. Because I was, (laughs) I I was expecting something different. Mr. Intuitive over there. I was like, I've known Arden for what, like an hour now? And I can tell you that, yes, those are all practical things you should probably use. But ultimately, I think this comes down to you knowing your purpose. And I think I think reading you, you're scared and you're worried that your fastest times are behind you. And so you're kind of having this Mm -hmm. crisis associated with that. And it's easy when you can tell yourself the story of. Well, I'm doing this for others. I'm doing this to be a part of a bigger thing. It's easy because that's a good story. 
Like, and for me, that was where I was literally three or four years ago as I was wrestling with this idea of are my fastest times behind me? It's like, maybe they are. And I'm okay with that because I love running for so many other reasons. But then I looked in the mirror and somebody close to me forced me to do that. And I realized I was just telling myself a story that, yeah, I had all these other reasons that were legitimate reasons not to be my fastest self, but they were bullshit. But how does that help her? She needs to face that, number one. She needs to face the fact that she does care, that she does it, she does do it more for more than just being the social butterfly or the coach helping others. She does it for more than that. She needs to face that and then put that and then figure out what that means at the core, like what's really behind your purpose that's not this bullshit story you told us. And then what does that translate <laughs> into into a goal that makes your sphincter pucker and then find a coach who's going to hold you to the fire and say, OK, here's what it's going to take to get to that goal, because you're also clearly in a comfort zone. It's like you're running in a space where no one's pushing you. And the stuff Steve was describing is practical because a coach can help you do that. It's like figure out how to go to the dark places again and force you to go there and hold you accountable to going there. But you're basically coaching yourself. And so you're not being accountable to going to those dark places because no one's watching and you're watching others and they're all looking at you and they're probably very inspired and you probably do a great job of getting them to do it, but you're not doing it for yourself. So you got to find an external person who will. So there you go. Yeah. It goes, I mean, that was just a really mean way to tell you you're full of shit, which. No, I, I actually I, love the fact I got you guys to roll reverse here. Yeah, <laughs> we did. We did. And, and I think the reason for that is because I already, I know you. Mm -hmm. So I know the only way, and I, and Chris can say that, but if I say it, you're just going to say, oh, he's just trying to get my goat, right? No, Chris got me between the eyes. Right. And, and I, and yeah, I know, and I knew the only way I could get to you was to tell you real practical application ways. That's how intuition works as coaches is, oh, yes, Chris hears you. You couldn't hear it from me. Well, I had just said every athlete's full of shit and you didn't hear it. And then you, then you threw shit at us. Like, so it's just so true. It's so true. Uh, any reactions to that artist? Bingo. And, and Gene and I have been talking about that is and and that's it finding that person and and Steve just hit on that too finding that person that you don't know well enough that that says yeah you you wouldn't I wouldn't be having this conversation if I didn't want something else out of my writing. right exactly it, it, and I think you have to tell yourself sometimes it's okay to be selfish yeah you know we have to be selfish sometimes and we can't be always doing things for other people you know, sometimes what we want is the is the thing we need to go after. Yeah. It's not a bad thing either. Right, exactly. It's not like you're, you're the thing you really like to do is to spank other people's children, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, that would be a bad thing. Like, you don't want to go out there and just randomly spank people's children. So you're you're spanking yourself on a consistent basis, and there's nothing wrong with that. Well, and, yeah. and sometimes you just need to hear that. Like, sometimes yeah. you need to hear what you need to hear, and you need to hear it in a different way. Right. Well, because you're thinking, oh, well, I'm going to disappoint my friends who run slower than me because I need to do something different. Well, shit happens, and if they're f your friends, they'll still be your friends, and you'll do the slower one with them once a week instead of three times a week. It's okay. How bad do you want it? Exactly. Uh, Kevin, yeah. Kevin Leahy, who was our guest on the Alchemy of Running episode, called it being self-full, not selfish, <laughs> which I think is a good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. So we've got time for two more questions. I'm going to throw the first one to you, Gene, number six, because I think this is a really good question for Steve. Oh, okay. Yeah. No plan B. 
Um, so just real life experience just happened, Boston. I had an, a, a goal time in mind. It was a hot day. You know, that goal time kind of flew out the window. I, I kind of stuck to the plan until I hit the hills and then the plan fell apart. But I had a backup goal. You know, I, you know, I wanted to beat my prior time at Boston. That was my, that was my backup goal. And that kind of kept me going. It didn't keep me going. There's other things we talked about being a hero, thinking about other things. But when I crossed the finish line and I realized I hit that goal, it like made the race for me because I hit the plan B. Like I didn't really, like, oops, I almost said it. I didn't really care about plan A. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. No. Oh, no. I don't even need to answer the question because that's where I was going to go. <laughs> but I do think that there, so I do believe in one plan B, all right? And I always believe in this plan B. And I, when if somebody ever said, you, I, I would always, yeah. There is one plan B, and it is run a beautiful race. So I truly, truly believe that you defined, you came up with some sort of, for you, definition of run a beautiful race. So yes, I will always say plan B is cool as long as it is in the run a beautiful race thing. Command performance is important and necessary to stretch and push ourselves, but we are doing this for self-reflection, self betterment self selfness as you know try to be as 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 the best as we can as a, as our own person and so running a beautiful race given the conditions and me, to me Boston is the place to I would if I could ask every one of my runners for plan A and plan B to be run a beautiful race so many people just want to have a clear a much clearer objective of what they want and need you know they just need those numbers um for me, it would be because I believe that if they ran a beautiful race, then that's where that step between what they're capable of, that magic happens that Chris and I disagree about all the time, that there's a Chris wants them just to train to what they're physically capable of. And I think running a beautiful race might mean that they could run a minute faster than that or three minutes faster than that. And if all they did was focus on running that day within the context of what their fitness is and what their goals were, but then saying, okay, who gives a shit about all that? Like, but it requires knowing your course. It requires knowing yourself, knowing deeply where your fitness is, knowing your strengths and your weaknesses. It requires so many other things that are hard for people to do. They do. They just want to say sub three ten or bust. So for me, it's like if you really a sub three ten or bust, fucking put up or shut up. Like put up or shut up. Because if it's but if it's run a beautiful race, you got me. Like I totally am all in with that. So I do think again, it comes back to what this podcast should be titled: All athletes are full of shit. Uh, because <laughs> we really, as, 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 as athletes, we really are. If I reflect on my own athletic experience as an athlete, I, I am not a trustworthy narrator of my experience. And that's why you need a coach. But it's also, I do want to get better at that. And by racing consistently, as, we, as Chris and I have said a couple times, you are only your last result. We, did, we were about to, when this podcast comes out, we, we, we did one where we did a true or false. You're only as good as your last result. And we argued this 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 point, but we tr Chris and I truly believe that you are only as good as your last result. And so, running a running a beautiful running a beautiful race allows you to say, whatever that is is okay. It's an experience, whether it's five k or a marathon, uh, ultra marathon or a hundred meter dash. 
make the world a better place with your physical moving through your physically moving through space. So what did we learn there, Gene? Plan B was really plan A. And <laughs> yes. the most important thing wasn't that you hit that time. The time maybe represented for you something, but you didn't quit, right? You could have quit. I could have quit. And you didn't quit. I thought about quitting for maybe 30 seconds and shoved that aside. And really, for me, that whole race boiled down to what I did once I turned on the boil spoon. Yeah. And I, like, my little Strava thing, the pace goes like that. And I had decided, because I did the visualization, and you guys, I listened to the course, and you're like, there's that little hill. And I was like, I can, I can let it go on that little hill, but as soon as I turn that corner, I'm going to run with everything I have to the finish line. And I did that. And I was hitting paces that I didn't think I still had in me. Yep. And that was my race right there. And... And it was, it was beautiful. beautiful. It was, it was beautiful. really, really so beautiful. It. <laughs> All right, Ardith, we're going to take it to you for the last question. I'm going to have you to tee up number three for us because I think there's a lot in there. Now, we've committed to doing an ep entire episode on this topic, so we'll just touch a little bit today. But give us the question. Okay, I was going to suggest that because I know we're probably going long here. But um, you and Steve have touched on aging and running. And when I say that, you know, you and T, when you were talking about your coaching um, and, and you're being the athlete with Steve, you know, said, okay, things will start changing though. 45, 50, a couple of other times you said, these are the training plans, but once you get past 50, this is going to look different. Well, you're sitting with two people and it looks different. So <laughs> what does that mean? What does training after 50 look like? And, and maybe specifically for this, you know, recovery, how many days are hard? What is cross training? What is what is strength training looking like? Um, and it sounds like you've got a plan to go into that. So maybe if you hit the high points. Yeah, for me, it comes down to two high points. And obviously, there's a lot more to it. But the two high points are one, recovery becomes more important. And you have to be willing as an older athlete to give yourself more time or to back off more on a workout than you might otherwise as you get older so you have to become better at listening to your body and then maybe giving yourself time now that's hard in the context of a rogue program where you have structured workouts but i've had people tell me that are older athletes in the group say well i got injured because i was running too hard on the hills on this long run and so my and so she's like i shouldn't be doing long runs like that and i said well what if you'd walked up the hill would that have changed how that long run went? And would that have affected your injury associated with it? And the answer is yes. So I think you have to be more in tune with rec recovery and be willing to take an extra day back off, err on the conservative side more often as you age. So that's one theme, and there's a lot, I think, underneath that. The second theme is that you the, the, the extras, the functional work outside of running, become mandatory you know when you're 20 to 30 you can kind of get away with cheating on not doing the extras not having the functional strength and mobility maybe not doing the the diligent foam rolling maybe being a little bit lax with your nutrition and all of those things when you're 20 and 30 most people can get away with it as you progress and i'm learning this at 38 now i can't 
and 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 I'm still young in the spectrum, right? <laughs> yes. But I can't. <laughs> but I'm, I'm already to the point of not being able to cheat myself on some of those extras. <laughs> and as you get into mid forties and fifties, you you just can't. Otherwise, you're going to get injured. Yeah, I mean, I would echo Chris's sentiments. Um, there's a couple of other things I would put in here, though, too, since he hit them. I, the first is you need to become a lot better at listening to your body. And and I think you, you, you've got, you, since you've been in this body a lot longer, the wisdom of your body will tell you so many things if you're really listening to it. You've gained this wisdom through experience and being in it. You know, again, your strengths and weaknesses, the spots that are problematic. Um, and so you just need to really start dialing in. And this is where I would suggest color coding training rods. I've used this sometimes with athletes where I'll say, I want you to have um, a yellow. You decide the colors that you want to, but one color to be um, this workout was easy this workout was hard this workout was medium hard and just start just put a color on that session right and if it was a workout where you had a little bit of both of those put two colors in so you know that you can it's nuanced and you know you can go back through and kind of see through that color coding and if you can reflect on your experience of doing it you can kind of like see Wow, there's a lot of, if red would be hard, right? There's a lot of red here. I probably need to back off. I, could, I probably need to look at what's happening. Or my Achilles or my hamstring is, is really barking. Why is it barking? Well, I, I have a lot of, I have a couple more reds in here this last two weeks than I expected. Realizing that as you get closer to your race, there's going to be more red in there. That's part of it. So, but, but be careful um, in that. The other thing, so the first is using the wisdom you've gained in your own body to actually benefit you. Um, and then the second thing is, and I asked some of my athletes to do this. It goes into training logs as well. Start doing resting heart rate every workout morning or every long run morning. So um, I asked my athletes to take a resting heart rate. So you basically set your alarm for whatever time you're going to wake up. Put on and then set it for about five minutes before you're going to wake up. And then hit snooze. Try not to go back to sleep, but hit snooze. Let yourself relax for about a minute, and then take your heart rate for 15 minutes. They now have all these fancy schmancy, your Apple Watch will do it for minutes, you. 15 seconds. 15 seconds, sorry. Okay. Count for 15 seconds, multiply by four. So you got a variable of 60. So in a minute, how many times did your heart beat? Write that number in your training log. Just write it down every single workout morning, and you will be able to start to tell when that heart rate starts to get fluctuations. You'll be able to tell normal fluctuations from training. You'll be able to tell when things are happening, when your body's starting to run down. There'll be real concrete information in there, and it's especially helpful for as people get over the age of 50 because your bodies are a little more dialed in and tuned in. So those are two kind of cheater ways that you can sort of help yourself with that. Um, again, there are so many apps now that will help you with heart rate app these things we'll yeah, do it for you using the camera actually on your phone and you so you just now you've got that user really? that you're that yeah. you've got that intel that you can put in your training log and you know for a fact that hey this is where i'm at and you'll be able to read the tea leaves a lot better that way i have i have that app on my home screen so when i'm in heavy training mode wake up turn on the app you put your finger over the camera and it takes your heart rate literally through your finger somehow wow. there's magic there <laughs> and then it tracks it for you, so I know, you know, when it's for me, it's I'm I'm not, I don't have like crazy low heart rate, so mine typically, if I'm fit, will sit around 48 or so. 
when I'm in heavy training mode and things are kind of like stressed, you know, I might end up being in 53 or so, a little bit like maybe five beats north of that, which is pretty normal. But once I start seeing 57, 58, 59 or above, when I wake up, that means red flag. Something's not right. I'm not recovered. It's, t- it's, you know, either time to back off, take an extra day, adjust or whatever. But that's the tricky part about that is like as a coach, you don't know that. So if you show up a workout gene and, and you're beat up for whatever reason, I don't know that unless you communicate it. Now, if you communicate it, then we can work through it together. But that's when that dialogue becomes really important. Can I add something? Yeah. You have to let go of your ego, you know, <laughs> and that's something that I'm trying to learn how to do because, you know, most of the training group is younger than I am. And, you know, I want to hang with the people that can recover quicker and, <laughs> you know, run faster and whatever. So I'm learning to let go of that ego. And if I need to do one fewer rep or if I need to recover slightly longer or whatever, that's okay. It is I've okay. earned my stripes. <laughs> you have. And the beautiful thing is if you do it the right way like that, then you'll beat them on race day. And then the bragging rights are real. And, and there's yes. one other piece here, too. And, you know, we've talked so many times about aerobic development, aerobic development. People who are over the age of 50 who have been running for a while, you guys are pretty aerobically developed. The two of you have been running consistently now since the early 2000s. So you've got you've built up a huge even when you were just running with your dog. We're Jean, not aerobic babies. You're not aerobic babies. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> you graduated. <laughs> you graduated. So try. Trying to get mileage at that point is probably not the wisest thing. Whenever I see people just going for the miles, it's like, no, you're better off doing more. You're doing more threshold work. It's like do 10 miles a week less and spend more time in the other in those other training zones, which will be give you a little bit more bang for your buck in there because you already have done a lot of that work. So there you go. That's a little teaser. We are working on our episode on getting faster as you age and we've got a couple of guests that will that will be experts they just they just uh, communicated with me yesterday that they're on and ready so so. that one's coming we look forward to it we've got to wrap this we didn't quite get to all the questions we've got to most of them we really appreciate having you guys on hopefully you enjoyed it being on the other side of the mics how was it it was great Uh, this is a great conversation i hope people get something out of it because we did absolutely thank you well thanks for coming this was a lot of fun as i said maybe we'll have you back on at some point to to get through more questions so keep (laughs) writing down your questions and to our listeners out there if you're listening and have questions throw them our way you might just end up on an episode but we really appreciate it as always you can always check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on instagram twitter or facebook at rogue running this has been episode 38 of the running rogue podcast we'll talk to you soon hasta la vista baby (laughs) 